Hey, hey, hello, hello. It is Vonda Page, and I am super excited to be back on air. This time, we are 100% doing an audio podcast, and I'm super excited to be back on Living Corporate, super excited to be doing the group chat in straight up audio podcast format. And what this is going to do is this is going to allow me the opportunity to bring you content all the time. And what an exciting, and I don't know if exciting is really like the right word, but what an interesting, what a provocative, what a traumatic, what a terrorizing, scary, um, you know, just amazing time we are living in and and going through right now. And, um, you know, we have a lot of things that are real deep. We have a lot of things that need to get discussed and talked about. So, uh, I'm back and, and I'm back first and foremost with, uh, a new series that I'm calling, uh, when white people have had enough. And I don't know how long this series is going to last. I don't know if this is going to be two, three months, but it's at least probably going to last through the summer. Um, and, and one thing I'm finding, and maybe this is, you know, some sort of trend that's happening, but it's like, okay, every summer, uh, since COVID there's been, you know, uh, uprisings, right. And there's been people who have said, Hey, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I got something to say and I need to make my voice heard. And I think, you know, finally, uh, what I am seeing, uh, today is June 27th as I'm recording this. Right. And so we are four days after the United States Supreme court, uh, removing, uh, women's, uh, bodily autonomy. And, um, you know, I'm seeing this outrage. I'm seeing, you know, white people like, you know, uh, gnashing, what is it? Wailing and gnashing their teeth. Right. And just like losing their shit. And, and so, you know, what I have known as a 53 year old black woman, um, who, you know, I grew up for those of you who don't know, or can't tell by my accent, as my daughter used to say, uh, I grew up on the East coast. So I grew up in Philadelphia. Um, I was born in 1969. I grew up in a, uh, upper middle class, um, family. But what's interesting is when you grow up black, uh, you know, you, or when you grow up black, the way I did, right. You have a family that spans every socioeconomic and educational, um, end of the spectrum. And so for me, right. I, in my part of the family was the first person my my generation, I was the first person to get my bachelor's degree, but two generations above me. So my mother is a nurse, um, but that her that generation above her, my grandparents' generation, um, I have tons of uh second and third degree um college graduates in my family uh who went to uh HBCUs, right? Historically black colleges and universities. Um you know, the most famous of which people, if you're not black and you're not from the East Coast, have probably heard of is Howard University, um, because tons of people like Chadwick Boseman and uh, Kamala Harris and people like that have graduated. It's a very prestigious school. So I say all that to say that I grew up in a very educated um, fashion, and it was very important to understand 
everything. Very important to understand politics, important to understand history, economics, uh, right? Um, understand uh, historical and, and other things that were considered, I don't know, highbrow or cultured or however you would um, describe how so-called upper-class people or um, you know, educated people, the things that, that are deemed important. Okay. So I say that as a, as a way of introduction, because being 53 years old, because growing up, um, in Philadelphia, because, uh, you know, getting the white man's education was very important to my family. And I did that. And, um, because I didn't go to kindergarten, um, and back in the day, you know, you didn't really have daycare and pre-k and all places where you could leave your kids right I stayed at my grandparents house while my mom worked and I read the newspaper every day so by the time I was in first grade I could fully read on uh, an eighth grade level because I was reading the Philadelphia Inquirer I was reading the Sunday New York Times I was reading the Wall Street Journal I was reading the Philadelphia Bulletin which I think they got rid of that newspaper Um, And so I have been a reader and a learner at a very early age. And so because of that, it places me in a specific vantage point to be able to understand and see how things are tied together. And so because I've been following politics, I tell people all the time, Jimmy Carter was my first president, like Jimmy Carter. And they had terrible things that they used to say about Jimmy Carter. Uh, I don't know what, because, because he was a humble man, because he was a real Christian, because he was a peanut farmer, because he was a humanitarian, because he wasn't a greedy bastard that, you know, uh, was only focused on gaining power and, 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 you know, uh, giving more power to billionaires, you know, I guess, or millionaires back then, I guess, but they hated Jimmy Carter, but I liked Jimmy Carter. He was my first president. I followed followed his, his career. And, you know, I, uh, look in on him and, um, Mrs. Carter all the time, you know, just like making sure they still alive and they okay, you know, building a habitat for humanity houses and doing their thing. So, um, I say all that as kind of a little bit of background in terms of where I'm coming from when I talk about politics, where I'm coming from when I talk about change, where I'm coming from when I'm talking about leadership, where I'm coming from when I'm talking about government and how it all works, right? And how the media is um, not doing its job, <laughs> uh, you know, as it's, as, as it's supposed to be, right? The, the fourth estate um, in terms of uh, making sure that it is giving the public accurate and fair information because what we are experiencing right now um, as a country is a complete uh, erosion of the fake democracy that we even talk about that we have because we really do not have democracy because every, you know, 329 million, each of us individually, we have no say so, right? Because if we did, right, half of 329 is what, um, uh, 18, uh, 180 something, right. Um, or 170 something million people got their rights taken away. 
So we don't have a democracy. Okay. One, one person gets one vote. It doesn't work like that. Okay. And if people didn't realize and didn't understand and don't know, I hope they know now. And so this new series, right? When white people have had enough is, um, I think going to help really bridge this gap in this understanding that there seems to be in the fact of the, the mind of the liberal white person who, uh, you know, believes that they want to be a good person. They believe that they are a good person. They don't like how things are going. And now that women's rights have been removed now they're like oh shit I have some women in my family I do care about people oh wow this is serious so I want to offer to this audience strategies tactics actionable and accessible solutions because we are not powerless I'm looking at you know posts on LinkedIn um, and I have not been on TikTok in a while because if I get on TikTok, um, it's going to be a whole different situation um, because TikTok is a, a platform where, um, you know, there's a lot of activism taking taking place because it's very easy to get messages out in video form and get them widespread and move into specific niches and groups to get things passed. And we have a lot happening. And so I don't want to get distracted and bogged down with that. But if you get a chance, um, those of you who are listening, if you get on TikTok and you follow uh, some people, you know, um, like the uh, white white woman whisperer or Portia Noir or, um, you know, people like that, like Black Girl Tragic. It's tons of amazing people on TikTok. Um uh, that you need to, that you need to follow that are going to be able to give, um, you know, more historical and and deep context if that's what you want. But here is what I know. What I know is that nothing is going to change until white people have had enough because literally, listen, black people in this country, uh, even those black people like Clarence Thomas, who are being used by white supremacist, uh, goals, um, you know, people like Tim Scott, right? All them coons, right? Um, those people, that's just the face of, of white supremacy. Uh, and so black people don't have power to stop this, right? Uh, only white people do. And so this series is going to be about what you can do as a white person, right? Um, when you had enough. And, and so I'm going to, you know, uh, have conversations about what that really looks like, but, but from my perspective. And so you will see that I'm spelling enough E N U F and that is totally on purpose. Um, you know, uh, because that's kind of where it has to get to. And, and I want to give some background and I want to start by talking about, you know, uh, Roe v. Wade, but from the perspective of a black woman, and from specifically a perspective that I have because of a poet and a writer. And this poet, this writer, her name is Ntozake Shange. And I have been mispronouncing it wrong probably my whole life. 
Um, and so what I did today or yesterday is got on that uh, thing and typed in the pronunciation so I could say it right. And it's Entezake Shange. And um, uh, Entezake Shange is a poet, uh, was a poet. Um, and she was born, uh, her name that she was given when she was born, her birth name is Paulette L. Williams. And uh, she also was fortunate enough to be part of an upper middle-class black family on the East Coast. She grew up in, in Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, in, in, in Philly, we say Trenton, right? We leave the T out and it's Trenton. So she grew up in Trenton, New Jersey. When I moved to uh, Delaware, um, and uh, so Delaware, uh, and the reason is I say Trenton like that because uh, it makes me think of Newark. So we say Newark, right? Um, Newark. When you live in Philly, uh, you say Newark and Trenton. When I moved to Delaware, I had to say Newark and Trenton. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Delaware people, they don't really have an accent. Maybe it's because I was around so many more white people and my daughter was, you know, going to a white school. Um, but she was from Trenton, New Jersey. And so Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey is, uh, you know, I know that hood, right? That's like, that's like Philly. Um, but it's a little different, of course, because Jersey people got the New York thing. But anyway, um, she was born in 1948. Uh, her name was Paulette L. Williams, her birth name. And uh, her father was a surgeon in the Air Force. And her mother was an educator and a psychiatric social worker. OK. Um, and uh, so she had a good life up until around eight when her family moved to St. Louis. And that time, of course, you know, in the 50s, it was, uh, you know, a very racially segregated. Um, she went to an all white school and she had a lot of racist attacks happen to her verbal and physical. And um, of course, that treatment had a lasting effect on her. Uh, and she grew up as a strident black feminist, writing poetry about the struggles of black people living in a predominantly white environment. Now, as I was like looking through her bio and reading stuff, there was some things that was like, yeah, I forgot that why I resonated so much with her, right? Why I, I get her and why I felt her. She's 21 years older than I am, but in the 1975, uh, she wrote a play. And I think I must've saw that play maybe in 1980, whenever it was on television. Cause I didn't see that play, uh, in the theater. I think I saw it later in the theater, but, um, you know, I'll go back and give a little bit more of her, of her background, because I think it's important, um, just to, to get, to get, to get into why, um, she is so important for me, uh, you know, in this whole, um, in this whole scheme of understanding, you know, when white people have had enough, this is, this is what's going to happen. So let me get back to her. So, so, um, so she like grew up, uh, you know, in St. Louis. And like I said, she had a lot of bad things happen to her racial attacks, verbal and physical. Um, and, and so it really, uh, you know, made her a strident black feminist. And, um, you know, she was lucky that she had a good family around her. They encouraged her artistic side. Right. 
and um you know because uh she had the opportunity to be exposed to Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis, Chuck Berry, um and people like W.E. Dubois, right? Uh who she survived, right? And and then she completed high school back in New Jersey and then she went to college uh um and she graduated um in American studies and she got a master's degree from USC in American studies, right? Uh, but college wasn't a happy time for her. She had depression. She had been married and then separated. And at age 23, um, trigger warning, um, she attempted suicide. And, you know, having come to the conclusion that her feelings of bitterness and alienation about her life were too much, but she recovered and she just didn't want to be Paulette Williams. And so she adopted her name, right, Ntozake Shange, um, which is a Zulu origin named. And Ntozake means she who has her own things. And Shange means he or she who walks or lives with lions, right? And so she sees herself, they said in her bio, you know, perhaps being part of a lion's pride. And it boosted her self-esteem and gave her motivation to write a lot of things. So she moved to Brooklyn um, in in the, in the mid seventies, and her work started covering black feminist subjects. And you know, she glanced back to her suicidal period, and she wrote a play. And this play, I'm going to urge you to read the book, to find it on Netflix. And I know that Tyler Perry did a movie about it um, later on, um, which I didn't see because I just never feel like movies give justification of things like that. And because I've seen it, um, the play and read the poems, um, I didn't see the, the movie, but it's called for color girls, colored girls, for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. And it won three separate awards. It started out as a 20 part poem and then it was adapted to a stage play, which was eventually seen on Broadway um, and then it was made into a movie. Uh, and, um, and so the thing about that play and those poems is they resonated so much. And again, remember, right, the black feminism outpouring of her from her experiences. And so I'm going to read a poem, um, one of her poems. Uh, that sums up the pain it says in anger she feels along with many other women about the suffering inflicted on women and children somewhere in the world every day abstracts and this is extracts from with no immediate cause right but it is an incredible it's a very angry attack and so I want to make sure that you hear this and I'm going to read it and do this on video but this is speaks directly to what has just happened and again right she wrote this in 1975 this this uh somewhere around in the in the 70s okay um so here it is every three minutes a woman is beaten every five minutes a woman is raped every 10 minutes a little girl's molested yet i rode the subway today i sat next to an old man who may have beaten his old wife Three minutes ago or 30 days, 30 years ago, he might have sodomized his daughter. But I sat there because a young men on the train might beat some young women later in the day or tomorrow. I rode the subway today and bought a paper 
from a man who might have held his old lady onto a hot pressing iron. I don't know. Maybe he catches little girls in the park and rips open their behinds with steel rods. I can't decide. What he might have done, I only know. Every three minutes, every five minutes, every ten minutes. I found an announcement, not the woman's bloated body in the river, floating. Not the child bleeding in the 59th Street corridor. Not the baby broken on the floor. There is some concern that alleged battered women might start to murder their husbands and lovers with no immediate cause. I spit up. I vomit. I am screaming. We all have immediate cause. Every three minutes. Every five minutes. Every ten minutes. Every day. Women's bodies are found in alleys and bedrooms at the top of stairs. Before I ride the subway, buy a paper, drink a coffee, I must know. Have you hurt a woman today? Did you beat a woman today? Throw a child across a room? Are there little girls' panties in your pocket? Did you hurt a woman today? I have to ask these obscene questions. The authorities require me to establish immediate cause every three minutes. Every five minutes, every 10 minutes, every day. Every day, every three minutes, every five minutes, every 10 minutes, every day. And Tazake Shange, you need to check her out. You need to check out four colored girls who considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. And she used that term colored girls um, for her grandmother because back then, and I can attest to this, my babysitter that I had who was born in 1895, they used that term colored to mean black because they used that to know if somebody was coming, is it, are they colored or are they white? Because it was only two, right? Colored or white. And so that's how that is. But she is a black woman and she specifically talks about the black experience and that poem and her play and everything that she experienced is so resonant with my life. And I never realized that was the deep connection. And so when a decision to remove rights from women was announced and we knew it right when it got leaked a couple months back right Alito they did that to test the waters to see what people were going to do and they knew okay well we got it it's cool nobody's nobody cares nobody's going to do anything right and so now have white people had enough when will you say and do what is necessary to get things going in the right direction. When are you going to stand up and not be weak in the knees, right? You got guns, right? You have power, you have influence, you have position. Whether you are a white man or a white woman, if you can hear me and if you're listening to a podcast on Living Corporate Network, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, or whatever, you do have some means. And you definitely have access. 
you have a voice. And the first thing you can do is start to examine, right? How you want to move in this moment. You have to examine how you want to show up. You have to examine who you are at the deepest part of your core. And you have to decide, is that who you want to be? So I'll give you an example. Me at my deepest core, who I am, I know that I am a learner. And because I am a learner, I am also a teacher. And I have run away from being a teacher, being a trainer. I've run away from those titles. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because being in predominantly white spaces and predominantly, um, you know, uh, spaces where I'm the only and having, you know, accomplished uh, higher levels of education than most people I'm around. Um, it's always been used as a negative. Right. So I even had a boss say to me that I come off as too professorial. Right. Like I talk like a college professor and I'm like, well, I have a master's degree and it's in communications. Right. My undergraduate degree is in communications. So what am I supposed to sound like when I talk? How am I supposed to talk? And if I have been in my field, which I have been in the field of technology adoption and organizational change leadership for more than 30 years, how am I supposed to talk? How Am I supposed to relay my expertise in doing a job, right? And getting something done if I don't sound like I know what I'm talking about. Well, the reason I sound like I know what I'm talking about is because I do. And so when I think about myself, right? And I think about, you know, retiring from corporate America, um, the reasons that I had to do that was for my own mental health, right? For my emotional health, but also for the good, the greater good, right, of what has to happen. Because I believe that we are all put on this earth with gifts and talents um, and skills and that when those gifts, talents, and skills are nurtured, when those gifts, talents, and skills are developed, we are obligated, right, to share them with the world. I believe not in, you know, scarcity and greed and taking it all, but in looking at, how I can use what I have to the benefit of others. And I have allowed, I can say for myself, I've allowed my white supremacist conditioning that, you know, has been honed by being in predominantly white spaces, you know, has, has made me, um, has tied me up in, in, in knots that are less authentic and less real to who I am. So I say that because it is super important to make sure that you understand who you are in this life. It's super important to make sure you understand um, what you are brought here and put on this earth to do. And if you only have one job or one goal and your goal is to amass as much money and power as possible and, you know, middle finger to the world. Okay, then you don't even need to listen to my podcast or listen to me or follow me because I don't have time for people like that because that's why we're in these situations where we are because the reason Roe 
V Wade got overturned and Plessy Ferguson going to get overturned and Brown versus board of education and loving Virginia, all that shit's going to get overturned unless white people decide right now. And today they have had enough because the people who have overturned it, it's not, it wasn't Clarence Thomas and uh, Alito and Amy Comey Barrett and the mother jackasses. They didn't do it. You know who it was? It was black rock. And the, 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 the big giant corporations that I don't want to name names, but you can look them up and you can see who donates to whom. Okay. Uh, so let's get into, I'm a, you know, part one about white people. If you've had enough, here's what you can do. First and foremost, when you've had enough, you will find out what politicians your employer gives money to. Find out what politicians your employer gives money to. That's number one. Number two. When you find out what politicians your employer gives money to, you need to gather up some of your colleagues and uh, in private using your personal cell phones, right? Use text messages. Uh, personal cell phones, but in talking person and y'all need to um, look up these politicians and you need to see where they stand on these issues. And this is for people who work at large corporations. If your company is publicly traded on the fortune 500, I'm talking to you. If your uh, CEO um, is uh, a household name, I'm talking to you. If you work at a company that every day you and the rest of the world have to use their products, even if you don't want to, I'm talking to you. You need to find out what politicians they're supporting because I'm telling you, this is how this all works, okay? So that's number one thing white people will do when they, had, when they have had enough. That's number one. The second thing white people will do when they have had enough is they will boycott. You figure out some kind of way to boycott something because it's all about the pocketbook. It's all about the pocketbook, Right? It's all about the pocketbook. And so there is enough buying power. There is enough uh, media power. There's enough power, right, um, in the collective voices of the white person um, whose voice, number one, gets heard, gets prioritized. Um, there's so many things you could do, right? You could uh, literally just gather up your friends, right, uh, and start talking to these politicians that are in your districts and, um, let them know you don't agree with these policies and start talking to your neighbors and vote these local people out because the decisions that are being made now, like, uh, Roe v. Wade and all of that, that stuff is so far up the track that you got to go at the money and you have to go at the power. And it's not only about voting because voting is key. It's also about letting power know that you're not going to stand for it, but white people haven't had enough yet. So when you get tired of how things are going, you know, start doing stuff. Um, so just to, you know, kind of like recap for 
this episode, you know, I want to recommend that you check out Ntozake Shange um, and, 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 and check out her poems and, and realize, right, that um, just because we are going through stuff doesn't mean that it's inevitable, right? And, you know, if you're a man, did you hurt a woman today? I'm just asking, right? Um, because all them people that was cheering, uh, y'all hurt women. And, you know, the women who are using themselves as a tool to forward hurting women, you only hurting yourself as well. But I'm going to just let you know that there are people out here that are not having it people out here not standing for it people out here working people out here on a mission to make things better and when you have had enough you will get on a mission to make things better so hey thanks for hanging out and check me out next time on the group chat and we will continue this series when white people have had enough <laughs>